Good being with you guys tonight. Real quick, Lord, bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah, good. To, excited to be here and preach the word. It says in Psalms that he's magnified his word above his name. That's pretty pretty high priority on the scriptures. So this is this is the uh, how can I say the the serious part of the whole time here. I mean, it's all tied together, but. Um, We've been whipping through the book of Romans, roaming through Romans, and uh, I haven't, um, I know that Michael's been doing a lot of the teaching, and so I have a pretty good idea what you guys have been learning, but just real quick recap on the book of Romans. So, um, there was some controversy between the Jews and the Gentiles, and in the, uh, at Rome, so Paul's writing this letter to bring unity. His goal in the end is that with one mouth or one voice and one heart, Jew and Gentile would glorify God. And uh, the Jews had, had been the first ones saved at Rome, and it had been primarily a Jewish church. And as time went on, some Gentiles started coming to know the Lord. The Jews got driven out through persecution, came back, and there's a big Gentile church. And now, all of a sudden, instead of them being the majority, they're the minority, and there's this tension and so Paul is, is coming to heal that breach, all right? And so a lot of things are uh, related to that. But in the first thing that he's going to do is, is um, level the playing field and show that whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, you have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So in Romans 1, he shows that the pagans, the people that have never heard the gospel, they are without excuse because they have a witness of creation. They can look up at the stars. They can look up and they got to know that there's a God. And then the guy who thinks, you know, I'm a really good guy in chapter 2, uh, the moral, morally upright person like your next door neighbor who thinks he's a, a good guy and says, well, hey, I don't beat my wife. I don't cheat on my wife. I pay my taxes, all of those things. He has a conscience, the Bible says, it's bearing witness that he's a sinner. And then... The Jew who had all the Old Testament scriptures, he's responsible because he has a witness of the law. So he actually has an advantage in every way. But the conclusion of the whole matter is, after a whole barrage of Old Testament scriptures in the beginning of chapter 3, all have, there is no difference whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, you've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Michael took us last time up to the point where it, it moves into this whole idea of justification by faith. Now, that might be a hard thing for some of the Jewish people to really understand because they're thinking, what about the law? What about, um, you know, this, the, the, the rituals and those ceremonies? And is this idea of justification by faith sort of nullify the law? And uh, Paul comes back and says, no. It actually elevates it. It, it actually... Uh, uh, upholds the law. And so he's going to move from there into chapter 4, and he is going to show um, two Old Testament examples of the fact that it was always by grace through faith that people got saved. So, Whitney, if you just put the title of this message up here, um, the immutable God's immutable salvation. What does immutable mean? Unchangeable. So, God... It, the Bible teaches is, is one who does not change. I am the Lord and I change not, old King James. In uh, James 1.17, there is no shadow of turning. So God himself 
never changes. His promises are yes and amen, as we sang, right? Okay. And I'm here to tell you uh, tonight, I don't know what your background is or what your ideas have been or how you've been raised about salvation, but this passage, this chapter is going to clarify and make it really, really plain that it's not outward rituals. We often get focused on the outward. Some people believe, oh, you've got to be baptized to be a Christian. Uh, we do these rituals. We, we pray, and then we'll go like this, and somehow that'll make it better. It'll seal the prayer or whatever, okay? And I'm not trying to put all those things down. I'm just saying that we are prone as human beings to focus on outward things, whereas salvation is really something that is a faith in many times things that are invisible, okay? Uh, we can't see God, but salvation is going to come through a faith in God as we're going to see, all right? So um, the reason I say unchangeable, un unchanged, uh, immutable salvation, Peter tells us that Jesus was a lamb that was slain before what? The foundations of the world. So we could go into an eternity past, and God already had a design for how people, human beings, because he's all-knowing, big word, omnipotent, and he knew that we would fall into sin. And so he already had a plan, and he had provision for that. He wasn't taken by surprise as to what happened in the Garden of Eden, all right? He, he created man and put him in a perfect environment. But in a test of love, there was an allowance for man to exercise his own will. And he chose to actually go in violation of what God had set up. And the image bearers of God were now marred and plunged into sin. Through redemption, we get to be image bearers again and bear God's image and represent him wherever we go. All right? But that was lost in the garden. And you look at people and you say, man, I don't see them representing the image of God. But just as we're the only Bible that people will ever read, we're living epistles known and read of all men. Okay, the Bible says. And we're his ambassadors. We're also image bearers. People are going to look at us and that's what they're going to see what God is like. All right? So that's a pretty big responsibility. How much of God did I display in his image as I went through life. It can only happen as we allow the Holy Spirit to live out through us, okay? So, um, I want to move to the first point. And uh, I only have four of them here, really three, but one's sort of an appendix. And that is God's way of salvation is not new, okay? Some people think that in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of ways that people got saved through sacrifices, through rituals. But then suddenly, Jesus went to the cross and now the gospel's being preached, and suddenly God changed, and now there's a new way for people to become saved. It's true that we enter into the holiest by a new and living way, but people who got saved at the day of Pentecost actually got saved by an old existing way. Make sense? Okay. So... Um, He's going to start off in his argument in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, and he, he uh, says, What shall we say then, that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? What did Abraham discover about faith? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, okay? But not before God. So if we were saved, or if Abraham was saved by works, then he could boast in what he did, 
but it, it wasn't the case, not before God, okay? Um, what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works wages, uh, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. This word credited, some words, uh, some translations use this big word, imputed, okay? Credited, accounted. That word in the Greek is there 17, uh, seven to, uh, 11 times, I'm sorry, 11 times in this chapter, that word is there. It is a banking term. It, it literally comes from the idea of to put to one's account, okay? When Jesus went to the cross, God took what was on my account, the wages of sin. What's Romans 6.23 say? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God took what I deserved, and he imputed it or credited it to Jesus, and Jesus paid that debt at the cross in my place. At the same time, when I put my faith and trust in that, God takes Jesus' righteousness, the only man who never sinned, the perfect righteous one, and he puts that righteousness on me. He gives it to my account, applies it there, and that is how, in one sense, he upholds the law. Because what happened is the law uh, showed that we were all sinners. We had all broken it. None of us could meet that standard. But the salvation that God gives, his righteousness is demonstrated in that salvation. God's righteousness is revealed in it, Romans chapter 118 tells us. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It's in the gospel. It's revealed because God didn't just wink at sin, didn't overlook sin, but he actually paid for it through his son and then gave his righteousness to yours and my account. Amen? Okay? So that's the idea of credited, uh, imputed, uh, uh, credited, imputed, or um, put to our account. If you're going to be a Christian, you need to learn how to count sometimes, okay? But this word count, this word credit, is what God gave us when we, by faith, accepted Jesus. So, the argument here is regarding Abraham and regarding David is that Abraham could not have gotten saved by keeping the law. Why? Because Abraham lived 400 years before the law was ever given at Mount Sinai. So, he couldn't have been, the law wasn't even given yet. He did not know what the law was. He had a, a moral conscience. He had a law that was in his heart, but he didn't know the Ten Commandments or all the rituals that God gave for Israel that were pictures and shadows of the coming one, Jesus, okay? Uh, and so he couldn't have got saved by keeping the law. So how did he get saved? And he, he quotes the scripture. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, some of you have heard me tell this story, but there was a guy who was, 
in a strange town, and he w walked into a church on a Sunday morning, and there was a, an adult Bible study going on, Sunday school Bible study group before the main service. And he sits in there, and these people are having a Bible study, and they're talking, and somebody says, well, how did the Old Testament saints get saved? And somebody says, oh, well, they got saved by keeping the law. And so this man, he, he knew the Bible well. He was a traveling evangelist. He said, well, you know, the Bible says that by the deeds of the law will no flesh be justified. So he couldn't have gotten saved by keeping the law. So somebody else says, well, was it through the sacrifices? And this man piped up, and he quotes from the book of Hebrews, which is that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. All right? So finally they said, well, you, it seems like you know your Bible better than we do. If Abraham didn't get saved or the Old Testament saints didn't get saved by the law or by the sacrifices, how did they get saved? And he quoted this verse. Abraham believed God, and it was credited, put to his account, imputed unto him as righteousness. God turned around and said, you believe? Boom, I'm going to stamp you righteous. Now, did Abraham make a few mistakes after that? Yeah. And I always say, um, when you sin as a Christian... It doesn't affect your relationship with God. It affects your fellowship with God. If my son goes out and robs a bank, he's still my son. But if he does that, he's not going to feel like, you know, I'm going back in time a little ways, coming up and jumping on my lap and saying, hey, Dad, tomorrow's my birthday. I'd like a new bike. He's going to be avoiding me if he has done something, or if he's robbed a bank, there's going to be a strain between us until he comes and confesses that sin. And the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just or righteous in forgiving us our sin and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So what about David? David couldn't have got saved by keeping the law. Why? We want to take a stab at that? Well, he broke it. I think, didn't anybody remember the story of Uriah? Second Samuel chapter 11, is it? Okay. Where he, what's that? Yeah, yeah. So he, he stole Uriah's wife uh, and uh, slept with her. So that's committed adultery. And then to cover up because she gets pregnant, you know, he calls for him to come back, trying to get him to sleep with his wife, so he'll think it's his kid. And that doesn't work. So then he schemes and has him killed. So he committed murder and adultery. So forget the law for David. He couldn't have done it. Paul is illustrating to these Jews, again, that even though the salvation that we have upholds the law, doesn't nullify the law, it's not a way of salvation, but instead, it's something that shows us our need of salvation and brings us, as Galatians says, it's our schoolmaster, it's our pedagogue, or whatever, to bring us to God. 
The law is like a mirror. It shows us we have a dirty face, but it doesn't wash our face. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. All right? So, Abraham and David, two Old Testament examples given here to show that we can't keep it. All right? We blew it. So, um, yet David could say, blessed is the man who the Lord won't count his sins against him, whose sins are covered. And as we as believers can say that very same thing because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Not in our standing, but in what Jesus did. If you came by faith and you put your trust in what God has said about his son in his word, you have salvation. Okay? I want to keep on moving here because we are a little behind for time tonight and I want to uh, move through. So, the next thing that I want to point out Let's, let's look at verses 9 through 15. Salvation is apart from rituals and rules. We kind of already touched on that. But what does he say? Verse 9. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised? Okay. When does circumcision start? Who is the first guy in the Bible that we read about that circumcised? Don't ask me to go into a detailed description about what circumcision is and what it's all about. Most of you all kind of understand that. Huh? Abraham. So Abraham went through this ritual of circumcision, and it was a covenant between God and Abraham to say, you are my special people, okay? And your descendants are going to do this, and they're going to be different from the people around us. You know, you don't have to go very far in the Bible to come across the principle of separation. You get down to about the third verse, and it says, God divided the light from the darkness, Right? So, so we're not to be just like the world. We, we march to the beat of a different drummer. Any old dead fish can float downstream, but it takes a live fish to swim upstream against the current. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the flow and all the, the pressures to, to cause us to float downstream. We have a new power that enables us to go upstream. All right? So, but... God was saying, Abraham, I want a distinction between you and the people around us. That was a, we're going to call that a ritual. The things in the law were rules, okay? Abraham getting circumcised didn't add to his faith or become a part of his faith, okay? It didn't, didn't add to his salvation. It wasn't a part of his salvation, but it actually attested to the reality of the salvation. Just as baptism today doesn't make us a Christian, doesn't add to our salvation, it attests to the salvation we already have. Does that make sense? Okay. So he, these Jews were big in circumcision. Man, you've got to be circumcised. So they're trying to figure out how this relates to salvation and justification by faith. And he says, uh, is this only for you who are circumcised? And notice, is it only for you Jews? He's going to bring the Gentiles in here. He says, the circumcised, or is it also for the uncircumcised? That was the non-Jews. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness under. What circumstances was it credited? Was it accredited after he was circumcised or before? Now, he's very emphatic here. He says, it was not after, but before. 
and he received circumcision as a sign or a seal of the righteousness, I'm going to add this, that he already had, just for emphasis, my translation says, that he had by faith while, it was while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believed and have not been circumcised in order that the right righteousness might be credited to them. Okay? Um, and he that, okay, uh, who are not uh, of the circumcision, but who follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, uh, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Let's stop right there and just to say um, that he is saying that Abraham, was it before or after that he'd been declared righteous uh, before he was circumcised or after that he was declared righteousness, uh, righteous. It was before. In fact, 14 years earlier, if you remember the story in Genesis, 20, in Genesis 14, Lot pitches his tent towards Sodom. He's like, Sodom's kind of a picture of this world. I want to I pitch my tent and sort of focus on that. I like that, okay? And Abraham's up on this high place walking in fellowship and communion with God. And so Lot's kind of like a compromised Christian. Lot had been gone with Abraham down into Egypt at a kind of a weak moment in Abraham's life. And somebody said, Abraham got Lot out of Egypt, but he never got Egypt out of Lot. Okay. So what happens is Lot then like, Sodom's kind of like Egypt. I want to pitch my tent toward that. And so he's focused a little bit later. We're going to find he's in the gate. But what happens then when Ketolamer and these kings come along and they carry him all the way into captivity... Abraham hears about it. He has 318 trained servants at a moment's notice, chases after him, sneaks up in the night, divides his company in different parts and ambushes him, and he recovers everything. And the king of Sodom comes out to meet him, and, and Abraham says, and, and he offers gifts, and Abraham wouldn't take him. He said, I won't even take from a thread to a shoelace, lest you say, I have made Abraham rich. He refuses that. He walks away from all that, goes back up onto the high place, and God meets him. And Abraham probably had some fear about what he had just done in rescuing Lot and all of these kings, and what if they now come after him? And God steps in and says, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Okay? So, in that moment... Um, in, that, in that moment, uh, God then says, Abraham says, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not interested in that. What I am interested in is having a child. I don't have any kids. And God says, you're going to have, a, you're just, look at the stars. How many do you see up there? That's how many your descendants are going to be. Okay? As, the, as the stars in the heavens, as the sand of the seashore. 
And you know what it says? Abraham believed God. What did he do? He took the promises of God and said, amen to them. We sang that song, yes and amen, right? The word for Abraham believed, that Hebrew word is the same word as basically that means he said amen to it. God made a promise, and he said amen. I want to go to the next slide, and we're going to whip through this really quick because we're just about out of time here. I got a little bit of a later start. Um, so, um, yeah. B-M-O-C, that's an acrostic. That B stands for the basis of salvation. What is the basis of salvation? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Basis of salvation is the finished work of Jesus on the cross, right? M is the means of salvation. And uh, throughout history, God has always saved by grace through faith alone. O is the object of salvation. It's God himself, the God of the Bible. Okay? The God of the Bible. And C is the content of salvation. And the content of salvation, it was God's revealed promises or word or truth. So what was the content of salvation for Abraham? God made him a promise. Abraham, and the Old Testament people didn't understand about Jesus in the entirety that we do because the New Testament hadn't happened yet. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross. Job had a lot of amazing insight. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he's going to stand again on the latter day upon the earth. But whatever revelation those Old Testament people had, when they believed it, God imputed righteousness to their account. So it's not how much knowledge you know, but it's trusting and believing in the revealed word of God. We have the full revelation in the New Testament, the entirety of the gospel in a way that Abraham never did, okay? So, la uh, last of all, he's, you know, we get to the next point. He says, salvation, I have on here, salvation has always been by grace through faith. Let's go to the next one. And I'm whipping a little faster than I would have wanted to. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. Abraham was counted righteous by faith, and Abraham's spiritual descendants were saved by... He tells us here, in the same way that Abraham, his children can walk in that same faith that he started. He is the father of the faithful. Anybody ever sing back in, in kids' church? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And, you know, okay, so... It doesn't mean that you all became Jews. He's not talking about physical descendants of Israel or Jacob or Abraham. He's talking about spiritual descendants. When you believe the Word of God like Abraham did, you become a spiritual descendant like Abraham, right? So you now can look at Abraham and Abraham is the spiritual father in one sense by setting that example of faith in God's promises. Okay? Let's go to the next one. And Abraham's faith was in God's resurrection power and not human. He says, last of all, 
he says, that is why it was, um, he says, against all hope, verse 18, Abraham believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through the unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it is credited to him were written not for him alone, but for us to whom God will credit righteousness for all who believe in him and who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised again for our uh, justification. Abraham's faith involved uh, the resurrected power. Remember, Abraham was already 99 years old when he had a son. And Sarah was a 98, okay? How do, you have, how do you have a kid at that point in time? Sarah's womb was dead, but out of death, out of hopelessness, God made a promise. That couple put their faith in that promise. God honored that faith, and he credited righteousness because Abraham believed in the revel revelation that God had given him. We have that revelation through all of the testimony that we have from the New Testament. Amen? So let's go to the last one here. Say amen to the promise of God. When God says that he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, we can say amen to the promise of God. That's belief. If you're sitting here tonight and you say, man, I've, I've thought, well, I went to church all my life, or I did this ritual, or I did that ritual, all these different little things that go on, um, and put my trust in those things, religious symbols, baptism, outward stuff, doesn't cut it. But when I put my faith like Abraham did, like David did, like Martin Luther did, like Billy Graham did, in what Jesus did on the cross, when God makes a promise and says that I gave my son, the one who knew no sin, he was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, and by faith I believe it, God imputes or credits that righteousness to my account. Amen? So this chapter just gives us two Old Testament examples. One was before the law, wondering. And both of them give evidence and proof that salvation was not through rituals, not through rules, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word tonight? Thank you that your promises are yes and amen, and that you are a good, faithful God. I pray that you would just burn that into our hearts tonight. I thank you as I look back over my life, and I see the areas and times that you were always faithful. You were always good. In spite of my failings and waverings and times when I didn't properly bear the, the, your image, 
or represent you. God, you still faithfully steered me and led me back to the path of following you. And I pray that there's somebody here tonight who has wandered from that path. They know they're a Christian, but they're not in fellowship with you, Lord. Steer them back to walking in obedience. Put a fresh desire in their hearts to follow and serve you. And Lord, those, uh, uh, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, we pray that they would say amen to your promises. That they would look and say, I, God, I don't understand everything. There's things that don't make sense to me, but tonight, by faith, I trust your promises. I believe that you gave Jesus to go to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, to die in my place. And I want to walk away from human effort, from any kind of rituals or any kind of rules, and I want to put my faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to trust in the God who brings life out of death. Lord, minister through your resurrected power in hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless.